You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Do you guys hear me okay? Well, that was exciting. Thank you very much. (laughs) What a confidence booster as you walk up. (laughs) I'm going to say it was slightly artificial, but amen. (laughs) How are we doing in this uh, 100 degree heat wave? You guys surviving okay? Are are you melting day by day a little bit? (laughs) Amen for AC in the sanctuary. That's all I can say. Um, we are doing a couple things today, one of which, let me get this bad boy going. We're continuing our series on citizens of heaven. Um, so I know Brian did a great job of giving me a wonderful applause, but I think we have to give him a wonderful applause for his first three sermons and setting up the series. Yes. Hopefully you've been uh, gleaning some great, you know, not just information, but just application uh, in terms of our building up our community as a citizen of heaven. Amen. I think it's only fitting before we start the sermon today, uh, I think I should pray. So let's pray real quick, and then uh, we'll get into it. Sound good? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for this opportunity to be together as a spiritual family. You're a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God that that pulls us together and, and gives us a family. As we talk about you know, the church this morning, we pray, God, that you are just with every aspect of the lesson, helping our, our hearts and our minds to be attentive. Allow me, God, to be a vessel, to be used by you in a way that truly honors you as we talk about the community of which we are a part. Thank you so much, God, for this time. Thank you so much for this service. Thank you so much for the singing. I just pray you with every aspect, God. Praise your son's holy, perfect name. The church said, Amen. Amen. All right, so we're getting into, you know, this notion of a community of prayerful love. If you remember last week, who remembers the title for last week's sermon, Pop Quiz? Escaping the Deception. That was the elder that said it. Anybody else remember it? That was one of them, a little bit. Yeah, that was a portion of it, yes. He did did allude to Unhindered. But, you know, we talked about escaping the deception of this world, right? And so if we're going to escape, I'll stay over here for now. Um, if we're going to escape the deception of this world, there's, you know, there's an aspect of right getting away from things that we don't want. You know, spiritual forces, uh, generational curses, all these different things that we're trying to get away from. Because we know we're inundated every single day with images and information and, and relationships and things that go contrary to what God wants for our lives. Is that not true? And so in the process of escaping away from it, we do need to escape to something, right? It's one thing to say, yeah, we shouldn't be like that. No, we shouldn't do that. It's another thing to have something to come to. Dare I say, a community of prayerful love. Amen? If you want to look at some books, um, feel free to check these out. Some of the uh, material reference in these uh, we use today. Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer. And Jesus for president. So, if you want a couple readings to enjoy, I won't stop you. I won't stop you. Divine Conspiracy is kind of the main thrust of this. 
Uh, there will be a good portion when we dig into Matthew uh, 7 towards the end, but we'll get into that shortly. Amen? Now, this is dangerous, but I like to do it. We're going to open it up for the peanut gallery. You never know what's going to come out, right? It's a mixed bag, but in any case, we're going to give it a go and see what happens. Amen? I'm going to trust the maturity of this fellowship to have answers. I'm hearing a lot of negative things right off the bat, so in any case, we're going to give it a go. Now, I could, you know, in the spirit of defining things, sometimes you define it by what isn't. So let's start off with what isn't church. Church is not a building. Did you ever go to church and that was your first thought because you go to church and when you get in the parking lot you look up and it's like ooh this is the spiritual holy place and then you go inside and it's even more holy inside all the iconography and like everything you look around you like wow I don't think I can speak in here I can't talk in here church is not a building what else a check off the to-do list church is not a check off a to-do list a check off on a to-do list so Church isn't just something that we do as part of our religious rites. So I'm a very good spiritual person, and I love God. So one of the things I do is I go to church. Check. There's more to it, right? Yeah. What else? Church isn't Sunday only. Ooh. Come on, Owen. <laughs> you feel that one? He went like this, and he said, shots fired, bang, bang. Church is not Sunday only, I think we're going to touch on that a little bit today, but yes, you know, one of the things, I don't know about your background, right? But I started coming to church to this fellowship, not specifically here, but in another iteration in San Diego, about 20 years ago. And so one of the things that I was impressed about was this idea that we didn't just show up on Sunday, yeah. that there was relations that extended beyond that. Amen? Anybody else? Uh, get out of jail free card. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So we don't go to church just to ensure that I'm going to heaven and me and God are good, right? Some people, I mean, I did for a long time. That's why I went to church. Uh, it's not just for the righteous. It's not just for the righteous? Wait, you're saying it's for the sinner as well? Foreign, foreign concepts, you know what I mean? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, right? I have not come to call. Who have I come to call? Sinners to repentance? Yes. Anybody else? Maybe one more. It's not the only place to talk to God. That's true. Uh, you know, there's this crazy notion that God gives us the ability to talk to him anywhere. 24-7. Wherever we want. So, amen for that. Good stuff. You know, I, I think it's, it's fun at times when you're defining something to go through what it's not. So, let's take a look at what it is, right? Church is a community of deep relational ties, right? Church is a place that, and they got a couple quotes that I like. Take a gander at these bad boys right here. Church must become a deep web of interconnected relationships between resilient disciples of Jesus, deeply loyal to the way. Now that's a pithy statement. There's a lot to unpack there. Let me say it one more time. Church must become a deep web of interconnected relationships between resilient disciples of Jesus Deeply loyal to the way. Amen. And the church said? Amen. Amen. We've been called to follow Jesus, not simply to join a community of comfort. Hmm. 
Last one. This one's a little longer, but it has some good stuff in here. The call to follow Jesus was, and still is, a call to join his community of the way. And by following Jesus together, not alone, we are able to, one, discern Jesus' truth from the devil's lies. We talked about escaping the deception last week. Amen. Help one another override our flesh by the Spirit. Have you ever tried to do this Christian thing by yourself? What did you find out? <laughs> Even in golf, you have a caddy. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and three. Hey, uh, there you go. Three, form a robust community of deep relationships that functions as a counterculture to the world. In doing so, we're able to resist the gravitational pull of all three enemies of the soul. And we touched on this, you know, these previous sermons, this idea that, you know, we're part of this subversive, subversive countercultural group. That it defies the norms and mores of our society, of our political landscape. That we've officially joined something that is different. I'm going to show you something in Acts 4. And you've read this scripture probably a million times. But the ideal in Acts 4. I want you to just kind of meditate on it for a second. We're going to talk about it. Acts 4, 32-37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons, persons from among them. For time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, we're not advocating for you to sell your homes and to give the money to everybody that has need. But you look at this scripture, and I've, gosh, I've read this, I don't know, countless number of times, right? And I think the danger in being in church for a long time, the danger in knowing passages like this, is kind of just assuming that we already are doing it. Or assuming that we already are it. You know, part of me can also be very cynical because I can look at this and be like, oh, you know, that's that's the early church. That was, you know, it's not necessarily prescriptive. It's more descriptive of what they're going through. How do we how do we do this? Because this looks like a hippie commune. Right. Like, how, how does that work in modern American society? But I think there's there's a goal here. Right. There's an ideal to strive for as Christians. We're trying to with the best of our culture in American society to create something like this amidst a sea of individuality. We live in a society that literally says, don't tread on me. That self-determinism, this, this spirit of you know, isolation in some respects as well, throwing some technology into that. And people are, I mean, you want to talk about just doing your own thing. Brian mentioned the post-Christian society that we live in now, right? It's just... I want like the good things about God and church or the therapy, but I don't want any of the authority. I don't want anybody necessarily telling me what to do, but give me the shalom. Give me the justice. Give me the peace. But God gives us something where we can have both. We can have a community, a community of believers that are intertwined, 
Scriptures talk about in Colossians 2 that's like, it's almost like it says like sinews together, right? Sinews attach bone to bone or attach muscle to bone. If you've ever seen a sinew, I have it, just only pictures, but they're very sturdy. They're strong. The connection is not going anywhere. There's a deep desire to be together. And to Owen's point earlier, it's not just a Sunday thing. Does that look like they just met on Sundays? Right? This is life lived together. I love you so much, I will give my house all the sale from it to take care of your immediate needs within the church. That speaks volumes about what we've signed up for, about what it means to be a Christian. It's good to take a look at our own lives, right? Because again, I read the scripture, right? I know it. Thanks. Appreciate it. But we have to be introspective. We have to take an assessment. Am I striving? Am I trying to live out this thing called Christianity, not by myself, but with other men and women who I need and they need me? What happens if you don't have sinews? Then your bones don't attach. Your muscles don't attach to your bone. You don't move. You don't do anything. How can you be the body of Christ if you're not connected? You're like, let me move the arm of Jesus. Wait a minute. Uh, it hasn't shown up to church in months or weeks. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't work. And it's over oh, at, you're going to tell me we're going to track attendance now? Is that what we're doing? This is what it's about? Here we go. Okay, didn't show up to church today. I saw you coming late. Mm, check. Mm-mm. Not at all, in fact. But what we are saying is this, when you look at that heart, the heart to sell anything, the heart to be together. You know the other scripture in Acts about the temple courts, and they met every day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking the bread, and to prayer. They had so many things in common. Our connections, I would venture to say, especially post-lockdown and COVID, uh, that they've, you know, they've taken a little bit of a hit. Right? If I'm right, I'm going to be frank for a moment. I think connections in the body, not just in the South Bay Church, but in a macro level, however you want to use that Christian umbrella term, have taken a serious hit. (laughs) If there was ever a time where it was, we had the opportunity, I should say, to come back together and to build something special, and to redefine it in such a way that makes sense for a a new generation, it would be now. Now is the time to take a look at how we do this thing called Christianity and what we are building, the relationships that we're fostering, and say, you know what? Maybe it's time for a new thing. Maybe it's time for a different thing. But there's one thing that never changes. It's the fact that we want to be together. That we genuinely love and care for one another. That we need each other. Don't let this world lie to you and to get you thinking that you can do this thing by yourself. Because you can't. We're not that strong. Demons submit to the name of Jesus. They don't submit to the name of Rhett or yours. Our proximity to Christ determines whether or not we can live out this life. And honor God with it as the body of Christ. The community is what we need. An interconnected 
tight-knit people, not based on legalism, not based on whatever ism you could possibly think of, but just solely love being together. Why? Because they love being with God. And when you're close to God by default, guess what happens? You start hanging out with people that, la- <laughs> that are like-minded. You have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. Hey, you want to hang out? Hey, you want to go pray? Hey, you go to lunch? Hey, you want to go to a restaurant? Hey, you want to go to happy hour? You want to do this thing called life together? An emphatic yes. Yes, we do. Let's bring it back. Amen. Part two. A community of holiness and a culture of hedonism. Community of holiness and a culture of hedonism. Set apart. Holy means set apart. If you have not heard that, holy means set apart. It's a lot deeper than that, but that's the basic uh, understanding. In 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, it says this. Therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he has called you as holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. One of the biggest knocks of Christianity is that it has no intrinsic value. People go to church, read the Bible, sing the songs, and they don't change. So this is, this is you know, many people's experiences not in inside, outside church where they look at church folk and they're like, well, all I saw was hypocrisy. All I... You know, trying to remember going, growing up or it being this thing was just a lot of people living double lives. Amen. Saying one thing and doing another. But, you know, maybe it had like, it had a nicer look to it. You know, maybe their words weren't as bad as the world. Maybe their actions weren't as egregious as people in the world. But nevertheless, the hypocrisy was there. And so, entire generations of young people want nothing to do with church because they haven't seen the holiness as a community of believers who spend time together and live life together that standard however it's defined right because you know there's clear in scriptures right but there's this aspect of the holy spirit while i'm speaking or you're reading or you're having conversations with others where god is challenging you He's calling you. He's trying to bring out a holiness in us that transcends our own personal metal and spirit and will and effort and traditions. A a, a walk with God that because of your proximity to him, you slowly, surely change. Scriptures talked about the radiant face of Moses, right? He spent 40 days in the mountain before he came back down to the people, and he was what? He was radioactive. He was glowing. You know what I mean? He was shining bright because of, of with whom he spent time. Right? This proximity to God, or I should say, our holiness is somewhat revealed and exposed by the challenges of life, by the things that we endure, right? Because just because we're Christians doesn't mean we have to go, you know, we don't go through anything. On the contrary, sometimes we go through more. And we get to find out where, where do we really stand? 
as a husband. I'm having conversations with my wife. Okay, did I get upset quickly? Never. Talk to them? Never. I mean, I don't even, I can't remember the last time I did that. Yesterday. And, um, you know, with my kids, get a little annoyed, right? That's never happened either. No. Driving on the freeway. I, I've never gotten upset in my entire life. Fill in the blank for yourself. We have these tests, and it, it does show whether or not we're close to God. In my closer moments to him, if I'm having a conversation that goes sideways with my wife, because of God, because of the Holy Spirit, I can judo it and turn it around to something positive. Where at one point, maybe she doesn't feel loved. Now she's like, wait a minute, I do feel loved, and thank you for hearing me out. When my kids are upset, they're going through something, and instead of dad having this visceral knee-jerk type reaction, I calm them down, reaffirm them, reassure them. There's certain things that can only be done based on your closeness to God. And when it comes to church, when it comes to the impact that we want to make, holiness is paramount. Matthew 5 talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That it's our daily sustenance that without seeking it, then surely our spiritual lives, our souls would just kind of wither away. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul thirsts for you. When we have that thirst, when we have that hunger, and we don't fill it up from the temporal circumstances of the world... We're able to be a people that are holy. Amen? Amen. I'm really encouraged by our young professional college group. I am. You can hoot and holler for that, guys. Come on. C minus. C minus. Here's a couple pictures here. Um, if you're in the middle on that one, that's Isaiah. If you don't remember Isaiah, he went back to North Carolina. Shout out, Isaiah. I miss you. I love you, bro. Very near to my heart. Um, the past about year or so, we've been slowly trying to build up a young professional group, and then we're slowly getting more into the, kind of the college and campus base of it. Um, but to see their faith, if you remember what it's like being single in the Lord and trying to be holy when everyone else around you is having sex and getting plastered, you know, drunk and doing all these different things, and, and you're trying to be the shining example of what it means to be like Jesus, that's it challenge, is it not? And so when I see these young men and women fighting for their faith, fighting for unity, it's not a perfect group. Everybody has their flaws. We're all human. The flesh is the flesh. But you can see, you can see men and women that are trying to honor God together to build something that is different, that is set apart that is holy. My wife and I, they've been a great place of joy. They really have. I don't think I tell you guys enough, wherever you guys kind of scattered around, um, praying for you constantly. Not because of fear of worry, but because of gratitude. Gratitude for what God is doing in your lives. Oasis group, love you guys.
Now, getting to some meat and potatoes before we close out, a community of prayerful love, right? So Dallas Willard in, in the Divine Conspiracy book, it kind of, he tackles the Beatitudes. And so, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is, is a huge thrust. It's almost like a charter for Christianity in some respects, right? And so Matthew 7, it's interesting because there's different things that, scriptures that we've heard, scriptures that get twisted by social media. Um, you'll see the first one come up right now. But we're going to go through 1 through 12 and do a little breakdown, and then we'll close out our lesson. Amen? A community of prayerful love. Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck out of your own eye? When all the time there is a plank in your own eye. I always think like sequoia, like just some kind of massive tree. Like someone walking around, just like, it doesn't even make sense, but my mind doesn't make sense half the time, so amen. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you have done to, I'm sorry, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So there's a lot here, right? Now, when I first, you know, a lot of times, how many times have you, yeah, social media, people saying it, I, this is kind of rings through, I probably, I think once, at least every two weeks, I hear this idea about not judging, right? Now, God does judge us, right? As Christians, we do have to make judgment about all things. That's what the scripture says, correct? Like, you have to be able to know what sin is. You have to know what righteousness looks like. You have to have some working base of absolute truth of which to operate in order to define things, yes? So we're going to make judgments, but do we condemn? Do we treat people with this measure of self-righteousness, this comparison, this holier-than-thou, finger-wagging, I'm better than you, therefore I'm going to correct you. Are you ready to hear what I have to say? Has anyone in the church ever been through that on either the receiving or the giving end? <laughs> Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand, please. If you have in your line. Okay, I'm sorry. It happens, right? But here's the thing. It's probably happening too much. It's probably happening way too much. In order to love people, they can't feel condemned. What are you saying, Rhett? I can't speak the truth in love? 
No, there's a time and place for that. Scripture talks about, it says if, someone, if you catch someone in sin, Galatians 6, I believe, about how those who are spiritual, like those who are mature, should restore them gently. Meaning that like it's, it's not easy to do this right. You, there's a lot of missteps when it comes to dealing with someone's sin that you yourself can get caught up in, either emboldened to do it yourself or handle it in such a way that the conversation goes completely south, right? So condemnation is a very real thing in church. Judgment is a very negative judgment, is a very real thing in church. James 2 says that mercy triumphs over judgment. What do people feel from you? Do they feel the judgment? Do they feel the smug attitude? Do they feel the, gosh, he's not saying it, but he is saying it. Like, I can feel you comparing yourself to me. I can feel you. Just the words and your countenance, it is not the spirit of which God desires. Right? The measure we use will be used on us. What measure do you want for your own judgment when God returns? Mercy. Mercy. Do we treat our teens with mercy? Do we treat our preteens with mercy? Do we treat our little kids with mercy? Do we treat our spouses with mercy? Do we treat each other with mercy? Or do we already know better? And because knowledge has built us up so much, we become so elevated in the Lord that now you must listen to me. I don't know. Look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. We're supposed to address issues. It doesn't say don't address issues. It says start with yourself first. Start with yourself first. When you're able to deal with your own sin first, now it's not a comparison. Now it's, I'm, we're on level playing field. I am with you in the battle. And this is my experience dealing with that sin. This is what other people have shared with me in addressing that sin, in addressing that issue. And now when I have a conversation with you, now we can connect. Because I'm always trying to deal with my own house first. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Man, don't give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If, if you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now is, you know, Jesus calling people dogs and pigs? I don't think so. We could take it as such. You could be like the gospel's edgy, you know. This is what, this is what Jesus said right here. You know, you just got to be. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, buy, I necessarily buy that. We could go with that interpretation. But there is, I would say, let me make sure I get this right. There is a time and place for things that we should say. There is a, a flow, a spiritual formation for people's lives. And what happens when you try to push them too hard? What happens when you try to give them pearls when they're not ready? What happens when you try to manufacture righteousness? When you try to get someone to study the Bible, you try to get someone to church, try to get someone to do godly things. How does that work out, teens? Teens, how does that work? Pretty rough, right? Some of you smiling, some of you like, well, should I say anything? I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble. Like... <laughs> There's a time and place for our pearls. Being able to understand people and walk with them will give you the discernment 
on when to give that which is sacred. Because what happens when you try to force someone into a relationship with God? Does it last? What happens in a relationship with that person? It's a strain. How many stories do we need to hear about strained relationships and people not wanting to be a part of any type of church before we finally start doing something about it? Right? Amen? Yes. Right? This isn't some... You know, this applies elsewhere, and this is, you know, a kind of Christian expository mess. That applies everywhere, starting with here. We have to evaluate how we do things. Are we building up a spiritual formation in someone's life that makes sense? Because we've walked with them, and we know where they're at. And because we know where they're at, now we know what they need. And because we deal with ourselves first, we're able to have the clear vision to see that for someone else. Asking will be given to you. Seeking you will find. Knocking the door will be open. When I first read this, it almost seems like, what does this have to do with the other? You know what I mean? We're talking about judgment. You're talking about speck of sawdust. And then it goes into this seeming part about prayer, right? But if you think about God, right? If you're dealing with people, there's no separation between dealing with people and dealing with God. It's all intertwined. It's all connected. Scriptures talk about in 1 Peter 3 about Husband and wives and how husbands need to, you know, deal with their wives in such a way that, you know, they can see God's love so that you're not having anything hindering your prayers. Right. Imagine judgment and self-righteousness and planks in their own eye hindering prayers from God. God wants to work, but he can't. Not because he can't, but because we won't let him. Because we have issues that have to be addressed. But when we deal with these issues in our own life first, we start praying we start seeking, we will find that which we're looking for. When we start building someone else's spiritual formation, it'll, we ask them. Just like we ask God for things, we ask people for things. Is this something that they're willing to do? Is this something they're willing to consider? Is this something they're willing to take on? You walk with an individual so that they can see and feel the love, not the force, not the fear. Not the conformity, not the culture, but they can just see you love them, walking with them. Which one of you asks, if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone, or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake? Amen. I don't think I've ever given my kid a snake yet. Actually, who wants, I think Leah wants a snake, but amen, that's a whole... <laughs> a gecko. We'll do another round of lizard, maybe it'll live this time. Amen. Rest in peace. Uh, what was his name? I forgot the... I'm on a tangent. <laughs> Kids, don't watch this portion of the video. You're going to cry and think about the barrel we had in our backyard for, for uh, Buddy the Gecko, whatever. <laughs> Amen. So going back to point. <laughs> Community of prayer. We address the love and the mercy, how to treat people. We start praying together. Mm. You think God doesn't want to work in this group? Full disclosure, we came here 16 months ago, and I'm looking at the South Bay Church, I'm like, okay, this is a mature fellowship. Not in a negative way, not just because it was seasoned and gray and old, geriatric. No, I, I saw the wisdom. No, like, real talk. I saw the wisdom. I, I saw the, the academic prowess. I saw the, the professionalism. There, I'm, I'm, I'm like, this is an amazing 
base for God to build. Not just in the empire, and then we get 10,000 people, but you know what I mean? Like, we grow. You grow internally, and then if we all collectively grow internally, then God starts adding people. Because he's like, you know what? I see the sinews. I see the, the ligaments. I can put weight on this. Right? You can lift with this. And so I was like, okay, th- this is exciting. But one of the issues I've, I've felt since I've been here, to be totally frank, is that we need more mercy. We need less people that know the right thing and more people that are interested in extending the loving hand that God has given us. That is the big, one of the biggest issues that I probably see. Guys, we're, we're coming out of all this different stuff. We've been out of it for a while. It's time to reconnect. It is. And that raises some questions, right? Because some of you are hurt. Some of you have some trauma. Some of you have been through whatever you've been through. My humble request is this. Let's move forward together. One little step at a time. Some of you are ready to go make disciples right now. Some of you are like, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to church today. Coming up on, you know, just showing up on Sunday was the victory. You're like, I'm here, Red. Make disciples? Yeah. Take it easy, in the words of Nacho Libre. But you'd be surprised because you could actually even make a disciple in your weakness. <gasps> Did you hear that? You can even make a disciple in your weakness. <gasps> Did you hear that? You can even make a disciple in your weakness. <gasps> Did you hear that? Yes, you can. But wherever you're at, the point is let's move forward. I don't want to get in a position where people are lukewarm and that's just kind of like the status quo. And then you're just used to it. And then you have some people doing it that then our, our collective example starts suppressing the truth. And so then we think that's normal. We think that the majority is what it should be, even if it's not, right? And so my hope and prayer is a couple things. That was to explain what we just talked about. So you can see that right now. Not condemning or blaming others in terms of showing love. Not forcing wonderful things upon them, right? Spiritual formation, walking with people, not trying to press an agenda upon them, but just see where they're at and meet them accordingly. And then asking God and others what we want from them. We do desire things for people. I want people that I know and make connections with to have the loving relationship with God that I have. 100%. I'm not going to hide that fact. I'm not going to sh- not shine my light. But how do I do that? What's the way to go about it? Closing thoughts. I lost my previous point as I went to that slide, so I don't remember anymore. If you want to jog my memory, feel free. Questions. Does your daily life reflect a deep need for other disciples of Jesus? To live a holy life as the church, I'm going to have to let go of, fill in the blank. Would others describe me as more condemning or merciful? Why or why not? Don't assume the affirmative. Don't be so quick to be like, oh, of course I'm in church, so I'm automatically merciful. Raise the standard a little bit, amen? Yeah. Last one, how can I be better, how can I better love others with my prayer life? Close it into communion. It says in Ephesians 2, 13 through 15. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once or far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh 
the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Now, this is in the context of Jews and Gentiles and the law and people who were diametrically opposed and didn't spend any time together for millennia now become one, right? Because of Jesus Christ, we can break down all the dividing barriers, political, whatever, sociocultural, socioeconomic, whatever you could possibly think of that splits people apart. And because of the cross, now we can all be together. As we pray for communion this morning, if you're lacking motivation to allow people into your life or to reach out to others, this is all the motivation that we need. The cross of Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. For allowing us to be a part of an amazing community of believers. To be part of a place where your spirit resides. Not just going to church or playing church, but to live out loving relationships because of your word, because of your Holy Spirit. We pray, God, as we take communion this morning, help us to draw closer to you and in turn draw closer to one another. We thank you so much for the blood that was shed and the body that was broken. We pray, God, that we honor you as a community of believers. And the church said, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.